Pepper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Oh, the Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Ducky spotting for three. The place is going to run. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Dewan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Who in the blue hell are you? You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scrub. And you still have the talent. It's Sandoz in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher, Sandoz, and the sidekick. We are back. Probably not better than ever, but we're back. We can still want to be anybody to do it ever better than ever, are we? I don't know. All right, let's talk a little uh, ETSU women's basketball. We will talk fail downs. It is our favorite accidental thing we have found to enjoy most about this podcast, I think. That's how it always works, right? We came up with all these segments we did five days a week, and like, ah, oh, that was good. That was there. And then, uh, you know, we, you know, did some things. And like, you know what? Uh, we really don't have a lot of first downs or first, whatever we used to call them, first downs, right? And uh, then all of a sudden, I was like, let's do fell downs as a joke. And then we did it. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? It's the most fun we've had all week. My question is, this being episode 200, are you going to be doing 200 crunches on the show? To Ooh, 200 crunch on the show? Yeah. How long is the show? <laughs> you think it would take you more than the hour that we have to fill? I would probably need some recovery. <laughs> I, I mean... 200. 200. I'd have to get more on the impressive ground. 200 episodes of Santos and the Sidekick or you doing 200 crunches in an hour? Uh, 200 crunches in an hour would be more impressive. Okay. There's no doubt. Are you sure? Oh, I'm I mean, positive. I'm not saying the show is I mean, I don't think you see me. Hard, I'm just saying, if you would see me after I do the 50, with, you know, as much time as I want to do them, which uh, I, I will say, I've, I've now got it down to three three sets, right? I go 25, 15, 10 now. The goal is to at least get 25 and 25 or maybe one day live the dream. 50 at one time. The dream I would, I would retire. at one time and then, and then not retire. having to do Santa's and Psychic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost quit doing them because I'd lost like a full pound. So. Oh, the show? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I like the look of them a little bit. All right, let's talk a little uh, recap, right? Uh, a little recap from Saturday. It went, I feel like if we played our breakdown of the game and our thoughts. Our what? Breakdown. We're going to play that later. Okay. Just comment. Sorry. Uh, but if you looked at the things we talked about that needed to happen and how the game would play out if certain things went, I felt like it went to the script, which is bad, because it went to the exact script of what we didn't need to happen. Or at least that's my thoughts. I'm not sure I've ever seen, correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is just the thing that jumps out to me right away. And speaking of jumping out right away, Chattanooga did that in both the first and third quarters, and that's something that we've harped on forever now, it seems like, is you've got to get off to better starts if you're ETS women's basketball. And the third quarter specifically been the problem, but it was the first and third this time. And if you don't score for the first five-ish minutes of each half, you've dug yourself a hole, obviously, at the outset, but then coming out in the third quarter as well when you're in a tight game. Shania Jackson and Lee Stafford, I called for them on bold predictions, and I'm devastated by those bold predictions because Shania looked like she was going to lock it up herself in the first half. But they were going to have a season high in terms of what they were going to combine for, right? 17 or more, they end up with 15. 
and Iowa strong. They, in the first half, both, I think they comboed for eight consecutive points, if I remember right. And it looked like last year. It looked like the Elite Staff from the Shania Jackson that we know that we've come to adore during conference play because we know that we can count on them. And unfortunately, it didn't sustain. In the second half, Shania looked like she got a little bit sped up, was maybe feeling the pressure to continue to do what she did in the first half and just got her feet moving a bit quick and rushed a couple of shots. And I think maybe that was because she looked around and didn't see a lot of offense. And in fact, a shockingly low amount of offense. I'm not sure I've ever seen the two leading scorers in a team this deep into the season go scoreless in the same game. I, I've talked to a couple of people about it, and they've agreed. Ja'Kaya Davis, Makaya Dowdell, 0 of 9 combined from the field, zero points. Have you ever seen that in the same game, this deep in a season? No. I, I, right off the top of my head, the short answer is no. Because the only time I can remember a score that struggled, and, and Courtney Pegram had one game out of his 2,000-point career, they didn't hit a three and didn't score. And I remember there was a groundswell of fans that came to the game that had made posters and all this, like, we love and support you, Courtney. It was very, you know, instead of sometimes the fan base, because it was a, a big loss that ETSU had lost, that you would think, oh, my gosh, you're going to lay this all on his feet, and we were thinking about what we're going to do. The next thing you know, Again, social media was early days of, of some of this stuff, but they were able to put together a campaign, and then I think it was the next game or the game after that, he had broke the three-point record in a game. So one time, one player, yes. Top two, no. I cannot think of one time that that has happened for e- on either side, whether it's ETSU or an opponent. I can, you know, barring maybe there was an injury or something, but people that played and finished the game healthy. I cannot think of one other instance that's happened. To your point about how things played out, I think that you and me both said, Ebony Williams, priority number one, have to stop her. She's had big games against you before. Her season high in points last year was against ETSU, and she is the type of player that the Bucks really struggle with, and they just did not have an answer again. And they tried to start out by guarding her with Makaya Dowdell. The problem with Ebony Williams is that she's not a great shooter, and so I think slacking off her you know, a couple of feet is fine. She did end up making one three, one of the three that she's taken. She's a better shooter than she has been in the past. But it seemed like no matter who was guarding her, whether it was Micaiah later on, Imani Williams, and it was funny, me and Coach Bennell were talking about pregame, how you know, Williams is that quick leaper, right? She can go up one time, two time, three times. And it seems like there's no drop-off in her elevation or her burst to go and get loose balls. And she gets 15 rebounds, 18 points. Coach answered with, well, Imani Williams, you know, she's about as good of an athlete as out there in the Southern Conference, she's got that quick lead too, and so he tried to guard Ebony Williams with Monty Williams, Williams versus Williams, but there was a couple times where Ebony was just able to get around Imani as well. You know, Imani's a freshman, and she is a great athlete, I think she's going to be a really good player for this team. You're kind of hard-nosed, you know, at some point in your career, I think, eight, nine points a game, six, seven rebounds a game, a few blocks a game, uh, and a couple of steals as well, and she's going to be that stuff, the statue kind of person, probably never your elite scorer but someone like an Amaya Adams, except more athletic, where she does a lot of everything. Um, but she just couldn't keep up with Ebony. You know, she's, again, a freshman versus senior, and Ebony's just so quick off to dribble and did just wreak havoc on the board. So to your point, that was a big thing. Bria Dial from outside, we said that the Bucks had to stop her from deep. Three threes is what she hits. Dina Gerald is someone else who brought up. They had to stop from three. She hits a couple. And there is a few times where Coach Zell was visibly upset when a Bria Dial or a Dina Gerald would get that open look because I think this is one of the most things you consistently see with coaches.
coaches that frustrates them the most. We went over the scout. We told you there were two shooters that you needed to step out on every single time. And when those players get open looks, which Gerald's and Dial did a number of times throughout the day, I think that really hurts, frustrates, and just gnaws at coaches. And I think Coach Zell felt a little bit of that. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, we, we get pretty good scouting report. Uh, there are some things that obviously, you know, didn't happen throughout the game that we couldn't have expected as was the case with Coach Zell and company as well. I'm not saying that you and me could go out there and win that game either because Chattanooga, I think, is a team that's going to win the conference. You and me both think they're top two. And so um, in perspective here, you know, this isn't a you lose by 15 on the road and blow up the season now. This is an understandable loss. This is not one to panic about. You'd like to have looked better, I think, especially on the offensive side because, you know, 31% from the floor um, is not going to get it done, right? And, you know, 19 turnovers below 20, but Chattanooga was able to capitalize into 20 points off turnovers. Um, don't open the little hatch and hit the red button yet. That being said, certainly a lot to work on. And Coach Zell told you last night that they had a, not a quote-unquote come to Jesus in practice, but uh, there was certainly a, an urgency the refocusing, uh, refocusing. Is, is what I, I helped her term because obviously she wasn't trying to get religious. That's just a popular uh, term that I think people know. And I think if we said they were having to come in a Jesus meeting, I think people understand what they're talking about. And I think you know she was just cautious, just in today's world, didn't want to. Although she wasn't going religious in any form or fashion, in that just using the terms so people would understand. I think the actions of players maybe not paying attention to the scout, and I could be reading way too much into this, but when Jasmine Sanders plays nine minutes and Ja'Kai Davis plays ten and Without 11 minutes foul with zero foul trouble, I think that's a situation of you're either not doing what we asked or you're blatantly just doing your own thing. And that says to me you're not going to get away with that and people may not like it, and they go, oh, they got to get more minutes. But to me, it's like, okay, you either let somebody run amok or you have a refocusing and say, you're not going to do it your way. You're going to do it my way because you did it your way, and look at the final score, right? need to do it our way, the team way, the what we envision you to do. Other thing I was a little confused about, and I know Dowdell didn't score, but she took three shots in the fourth quarter. I, I was confused with the couple of shots in the first three quarters. I mean, being such a good score – really in a little bit of a groove more than maybe any other player on the team this year. I was very shocked by that, that um, it took to the fourth quarter to get three shots. I mean, the first three quarters, and, you know, again, I listen to the entire broadcast at home of you doing it, so I didn't, you know, I try not to watch a lot just because I like listening and, and kind of putting myself in your shoes and how you're viewing a game. And to be honest, I like radio more. So I just, you know, everything about it. But I don't know, and you can correct me, if they were taking Dowdell out of the game and leaving other people open, but I'm just shocked that she was only able to get five shots up. And to the flip side, I love seeing Shania Jackson getting 14 shots up. Now, I'd love her to hit more than five of those, but I did like the fact that she got almost 30 minutes of action and was able to get double figures. Well, she was 4-8 at the half, and I think that's where I was expecting her to come out and have a Mercer-type game. We talked about where she time that she faces them on the show on Friday, and it's true. Like last year, I think she went 18 and 15, and then 22 and 13 against them. I mean, it was uh, absurd. But you got to put together a complete game if you're going to throw up that kind of number. And on 
she got in her head or uh, just tried to do too much, put a little bit of pressure on herself, and it just didn't work out in the second half. It was one of six with just two points. Um, I think you look at the minutes, and you talked about Jakai and Jasmine, and I think, and I'm going to talk with Coach about this more pregame for our broadcast against Wofford on Thursday night, Jerry Richardson Indoor Stadium. We'll have a Saturday broadcast as well on Buccaneer Sports Network. She alluded to it a little bit last night with you at Wildland Cafe on the coaches show that she's still looking for that vibe, right? That continuity, that group that knows how each other is playing, that can step out there, and everything doesn't have to be absolutely perfect for you to have a good run of play on the court and, you know, put together a good four or five minutes until you can get to your bench. I think that's what she's looking for. The unfortunate part is she hasn't had a full non-conference season to be able to find it. And when you're playing to Jasmine Sanders, who was really all the Bucks' offense in the third quarter, you, know, you didn't score for the first four and a half minutes, then Jasmine hits a three, a couple minutes later hits another, you end up scoring ten points in the quarter, six of those were for Sanders, all six that she had on the day. You'd expect her to be out there more, right? Then you have Jakaya, and I, quite honestly, uh, I looked over in the fourth quarter, and she was sitting on the bench, and I looked down, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't even realize she wasn't on the court. Like, you've got so many people cycling in and out, and Coach trying to find what works for her team, that when you have Jakaya Davis that, you know, was quiet early, and then entering the fourth quarter only played seven minutes, I just kind of snapped to it and said, wow, you know, let's not forget, while she's had a quiet post-holiday break, because she didn't really do much against Newberry, and you kind of figured, you know, that was a need to, they didn't need her to do a whole lot, Dowdell took over, um, you figured once conference play came around, then, all right, Jakaya's going to step back up. It's been a long time, at least it seems like, you know, it's only been, what, I mean, three games since she's had a really big game, but that was a good three, four weeks ago. That can seem like just a distant glimpse in the rear view mirror. And so I think that Coach Zell is still looking for that and trying to find it in practice, trying to work it out in games, and maybe what she sees in practice doesn't match what she's seen in games. So I still think that you have to get Sanders, Davis, Dowdell, um, Shania, you know, just from what we saw, you know, conference play is her thing. And then Carly Hooks has probably been, when you look over the totality of the season now, maybe the most consistent player for the Bucks, even though she has had to take a large amount of shots to get to her double-digit games. You know, she's still taking the ball away. You know, she's facilitating for the offense. Um, she's done a lot of really good things, so maybe that's your fifth. Um, so that's, I think, what a lot of it comes down to for me. And, and I'll get more of it from Coach on Thursday, but um, is that five becoming evident? Because if not, and you've got, like you brought up, people that aren't paying attention to the scouts just kind of doing their own thing, that can be very detrimental to a unit and would lead me to think that that's maybe one of the reasons that Purcell hasn't found it. it you, you can't discount, especially, you know, and I think it's popular probably more in football. Ten guys are, are expecting man and one guy's playing zone, you know, you see a guy running wide open to the back end of the secondary or vice versa. Everybody thinks there's zone, one guy's a man. And you're like, what the heck happened there? It just takes one guy not to get the call. Well, same thing in basketball. I think it's even more so. You've got four people understanding if the ball goes here, I'm supposed to be here, and you didn't pay attention and you're not where you're supposed to be, and you leave somebody wide open via layup, jump shot, three-point, whatever it is, it, it's very detrimental. Or offensively, you, you don't get where you're supposed to be and you can't run a set or a play. We know Coach Ezell likes you know, to run sets more times than not. So you need to know what you're doing, and it just takes one person to blow all of that up. So I just – and. 
I probably should have asked last night and just, you know, we only had 30 minutes. We were doing some other things. I was trying to get through some things. We had questions coming in. I probably should have asked if it was more of that. I, I'm just guessing, being around here for eight years, I just think, you know, people weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Whether that wasn't the scouting report, whether it was not hustling, whether it was not defending, whether it was not knowing what you're doing on offense, whatever it was, I feel like it was that. The third quarter continues to be a problem. You're down four at half, and then it balloons to 11 fairly quickly, I think before Sanders finally hits a three, stop the bleeding momentarily, and then it goes up to 12, 13, 14 at that point. I, I don't know, and I'm sure Coach would love to know too, what, what is the issue there, and I'm, I'm just beside myself. But out of all the things that have confused me this year more than anything, it has to be, unfortunately, number 44. And I don't know, and and Coach has talked to me about some conversations she's had with Elise, and I I think that's probably player-coach, and I don't need to bring that up. Coach will bring it up if she feels like that. But, you know, I I think there's a lot of pressure on Elise. I think she's feeling the pressure. I think, you know, whether it's her, whether it's whether it says, I mean, we, we have to remember, you know, these are 18 to 22-year-old kids. And for Elise, she's 20, 21, somewhere in that, that range. And being away from family, having some things, you don't know. And I'm not making an excuse one way or another. Again, I love to tell the, the John Robert Bell and um, those stories. And maybe I'll give you two or three of his stories on a, on a later show that sort of helped me as a young man on the broadcast um, assistant or whatever, I don't know what that technically was. I was a studio host, although we didn't have a studio, so I would ride with the team and do the pre- and post-game and a half from there and run commercials off a mini-disc player. That's where we were back in the day. And then I had a tape deck that I would record highlights in for P.J. Grimsell and Tom Taylor and all the guys that did the games before me. So, But I was able to – one of my favorites, though, was traveling that year with uh, John Robert Bell, the late John Robert Bell, and have him – because I would be mad after – like a typical fan, right? I would be a 19, 20-year-old kid that grew up loving the Bucks, and would be, man, that kid was terrible. He, you know, he sucked. He was bad. And then John Robert Bell would wear me out on it and would be like, well, let's let's think about this. Did you know this and did you know that? Have you thought about this? And like, how would you react to it? Do you have, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So you start to do it. That being said, for the ETSU women's team to have success to make a run, which they, it's one game. They still can because I believe this league is so wide open. I don't believe there's a dominant team. Chattanooga could prove me wrong. Mercer's proven they're not the dominant team. I think they can make a run, but they can't do it unless 44 is somewhat a shell of what she was last year. I'll skip it to you quickly because I know we're running overtime here, but I think a good comparison is Micah Sheets last year when Eric Hainsover's went down, and Sheets needed to step into that main role, that number one scorer, and you saw all of the percentages dip for Micah. Now, she still was able to get her you know, 13, 14 points a game, ended up averaging 15 on the entire season, 14 during conference play, but those percentages, I mean, it was 32% from the field during conference play, 27% from three. Um, not who she had been previously, because that adjustment period that you usually get wasn't there for her, and she fought valiantly, now of course at Butler, but um, fought valiantly to still be the top scorer, still be the option, but it was clear that she was not a number one. And that's no knock on her game, but she was just more effective, as are many players, as a number two scorer. When she was asked to be the number one scorer, she was not as efficient. She didn't have the skill set to 
drive, create, you know, and Erica Haynes Overton has that, right? She's dynamic. It takes a very dynamic player to be that number one scorer on a successful team. Tiana Tartar was that for four years. Those were the four most successful years that the Bucks have had in the Brittany Azell era. Um, not a knock on my guess, not a knock on Elise, but I think you look at their skill sets and they're very similar, right? Not going to blow you away off the dribble, not overly quick or fast. There's going to be defenders that can stay in front of your creating ability, right? Like you're not going to um, draw two or three defenders to you off a drive because you were able to get to the hoop at ease. Now, that's something that Ebony Williams can do. She is dynamic. Somebody, again, Eric Haynes Overton, Tiana Turner, a lot of players in this league have been able to do. And there's players that have been successful that don't do that. Chloe Wannick comes to mind for Wofford, who the Bucks are going to see. Now Wannick, of course, graduated, but the second leading scorer in program history. Janine Solomon for UNCG last year. These weren't ultra-athletic and unbelievably um, impressive players that could do everything on the offensive end, but they were great, absolutely great, at shooting the basketball from absolutely anywhere on the court. And they were crafty enough to be able to get space, and they were in, I think, also schemes offensively that could help them get space. With Elise Stafford, I think she's right now falling into that Micah Sheets mold a little bit, um, where she is she's looking for answers, right? She doesn't have the ability, more often than not, to drive to the hoop and open up the offense. You know, she's been a complimentary player in the past, and she has had an entire offseason to prepare for this and just hasn't been able to make it work so far. Not to say she can't, but I think that part of that is right now what she's working with, her skill set, and maybe just not being able to find so far the right combination of I do this in this situation with my skill set, you know, and, and maybe trying to do a little bit too much like I think Shania Jackson did in the second half for ETSU. So anyway, long story short, I know I said that I'd make that quick and I absolutely didn't. I think Sheets and Stafford are pretty comparable in that area. I think Stafford, if she can get to even a Sheets level this year, that will make ETSU very dangerous because right now she's mired in that 8 to 12 minutes per game, which I'm shocked that I'm saying considering where she was is one of the biggest head-scratchers, I think, of the season. Now, it's interesting. They turn into an NBA series and get back-to-back games on the road. I'm excited for it. It's going to be interesting. It will be. We'll, we'll have some conversation about that, the Wofford uh, contest Thursday and Saturday. We'll have another show uh, this week, so we'll talk about that a little more. That's a look at ETSU women's basketball versus Chattanooga. When we come back, we'll still talk Southern Conference, a little stock up, stock down after this timeout. Santa's sidekick on the Bucketing Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Mike Gallagher. I wish I'm going to start videoing his face when he hits the bumper 
and put it out, out there on the Twittersphere because he is so excited for the breakdown. It is solid. I'll give you 20 of your better pieces of work. Thank I don't want to say it's your best because you've done some good stuff. But I it's, uh, it's not my best. But, uh, it's it's up there. My skill set, speaking of skill sets, we talked about Ole Stafford and Mike Sheets. I think my skill set uh, on the show sometimes is that uh, Mike Sheets and Lee Stafford, one-dimensional one offensively mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you are, one-dimensional? I hope to one day shake that stigma. Stocks up. Stock there were down. only four games this past week, right? Men's basketball? Correct. I uh, think, yes. And, and, well, and it was only made four because they were able to get uh, sort of a makeshift game in with two teams having canceled games due to COVID agreeing to play in UNCG and Wofford. Let me give you scores. UNCG Wofford on Wednesday, 84-75 UNCG road win. Big one over Wofford team that I think is starting to raise some eyebrows and say, oh, can they make a run of the league title still? Possibly could uh, because they rematched the very next game day, 48 to 45. This is always the thing that, and is this what we're going to expect in women's basketball with back-to-back games? Because you see a couple days between matchups between the Spartans and the Terriers on the men's side, and you have the high-scoring, offense, free-flowing, being able to score not necessarily at will, but but getting good looks on possession, knocking down shots, and then after the adjustments, you put in what you've seen. Maybe the defense has taken over because now you know what to expect. It is fresh in your mind. And the two teams combined for 93 points. Wofford pulls it out at the end. Chattanooga played twice also. They split their games against Sanford and Citadel. I don't know how you'd consider I'll just pose that to you first before I go into what I have. Would you consider that success, failure, or right in between? Because if you ask me who is going to be at the bottom of the conference coming into the year, I think I had Citadel 8th, Sanford 9th, BMI. So splitting with those two, and maybe you say you can't look at the preseason because Citadel now is still undefeated at 8 I, I think clearly they're the greatest team ever assembled. Chattanooga. I think, I th- yes, okay. I think they're doing a wonderful job being great at what they do. And, uh, you know, one, one of our loyal followers and the guy that makes all of our bumpers, Mark Newland, had sent me he, – he sent a tweet and then sent it to me in a DM just to make sure I saw it. But if – he thought it was a written rule that if you lost to VMI and Citadel in back-to-back games, you had a forfeit scholarship. <laughs> so, um, shocked is more, I don't know, for a team to have all the mojo, get the news back of David Jean Baptiste, and now I know there was some injuries, and so Chattanooga's not been able to play nine, ten guys are playing seven guys, but of the guys that matter, they are playing. So, I I don't. I'm baffled by Chattanooga's start to the season yeah, and how it's continued. Let's go back to that Saturday because, like you said, it was a loss to VMI. Then you come back and beat Sanford. All these five-point games, by the way. You lose by five to VMI, lose to Sanford, or beat Sanford by five, and then lose to Citadel by five. One and two in the three-game stretch. So not only is it splitting the two this past week, but it's one and two in a three-game stretch against the three teams that I think everyone would have said clearly are the bottom. No matter how you have it, me and you had different 8, 9, 10, but they were the same three teams in it. And to just go 1 and 2. I mean, if you went 2 and 1, you'd probably – if you're going to compete for the title, you really can't go 2 and 1. And and you could even look at ETSU and say, okay, well, they, well the year they lost Citadel, they ended up losing the, the championship that year, right? They ended up not being – you know, getting a ring or whatever. So, there's now very, you know, I know VMI kind of blacked out. They had a couple guys go for 25 and 84 points on their home floor. 
unbelievable. But Citadel is what it is, and you know they're going to score 80 or 90. But they gave up. Hayden Brown had 37 points and 13 rebounds. Well, you see a bigger double double around college basketball. This year. 37 and 13. He's already had a 30 and 20 game. <laughs> I mean, so Hayden Brown's figured out what, what whatever's been doing. I know Mid Major Madness had just put out a thing about the this very controlled turnaround that Duggar Balkan's done, which I want to just, you know, com, com, calm down, John. And John's my guy, but calm down. So calm, John. He wrote that article. Oh, yeah, calm down. Like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, listen, drinking the Kool-Aid, listen I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, let, let's see what what they do. They are 1-0 in Southern Conference. They are one of, you know, 8 or 12 or whatever it is. The Division One teams left undefeated. Like, let's calm it down. Let's see Citadel's back in the flow. They Play get the Furman. Sauce. Now, I'll say this. If they beat Furman at home, I will give a little respect to the name. Sure. If they win at or win at home at Furman and win at VMI, I will give mad respect at that point in time. Well, but I think they're going to go 0-2. I, I think they're going to go 0-2. Because I mean, right now, do you think that beating Chattanooga is something to hang your hat on? I know they had a good non-conference, I but mean, it, conference play hits. It's, it's, it's falling by the wayside quickly, and as, and as Coach Paris, in danger of losing said momentum and team at this point. Well, or can they recover? You and me were talking about it off air. You've talked to some people, and you know, I've watched a game or two here and there of Chattanooga with and without Baptiste. And we both agree, seem to have come to a consensus, and we talked about this last week when Chattanooga was struggling on the soccer board. Is Gene Baptiste just playing God with their momentum and their roster and their offensive flow and things on the defense? But is he – I know they're 5-0 without him, right? Win four – or 5-0 with him. Win four without him. Come back and now they've lost three or four. That just seems like a very tumultuous situation. And, and I find it hard to believe no matter what the reasoning was behind him putting his name in the transfer portal and then pulling it back out. I find it very, very hard to believe – that there are some people on that roster that aren't just like, look, are you in or out? This team isn't about you. It's about us. Some team guys, right? The, the glue of a roster, they're looking at him and saying, what are you doing? Uh, so, so confused. Uh, honestly, the the apple cart is upset, whether that's chemistry, whether there's some behind-the-scenes. Got to be some animals. Got, yes, sides, something. I'm just looking, and of course, Chattanooga's never, never going to tell you, and I know uh, a lot of the great folks down there. Obviously, I know they're a uh, long-time play-by-play and color man. I know they're ESPN3 guy pretty good. I know the SIDs well. I mean, great work. You know, as much as I'd crush Chattanooga, it's like when I used to crush App State. I've always had a great working relationship with everybody there. They're, they're unbelievable. And, again, it's just the sports hate on the field, on court, and they hate us on the court too. But off the court, we go, you know, have some beverages and – you know, break bread and all that good fun stuff. I don't think they'll ever tell me, but this is unbelievable. And we could be seeing one of the better uh, collapses in Southern Conference from a non-conference to league play. And it, it, they don't have a whole lot of time to turn it around because they got Mercer and Wofford. They are both at home. But if they go 0-2 in that stretch, I don't know how you recover and save the season. You want it that point, 1-5? Yeah, 1-5. Your only win is Sanford because after that, you do you go back to Sanford. Then you got UNCG, ETSU. Then back to Furman. 
then at Western, then you host ETSU. I mean, the schedule is going to be brutal. Their next, like, eight games. And if they, so if they lose a couple, I don't know how they're – first of all, if you have five losses, and I know I've, I'm the one that's been beating the drum on 13-5, 12-6 to win the league, there's no way they're rattling off 12-1 and one the rest of the year. Not with the no way. That they would have played. No way they're they going 12-1. and one, and I wouldn't even say 10-3. and three. So – it's going to be over quickly for Chattanooga if they can't salvage these couple home games. That being said, they have lost those three games by five or less. Their one win was by five. Is there a chance that we're overreacting because of those close losses, or is that a trend, a sign of things to come, and a sign that there's dissension at the end of games between not only the people on the team that are like, what are you doing, David G. Baptiste, but G. Baptiste being like, what am I doing? Look around. I'm the best player on the court. And so it just kind of stews up and – if they lose the next couple, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some tempers flaring again behind the scenes because of everything that's going on. So are we overreacting to those close well, losses? Or is it? it okay, so the, the best example I can give you, 2018 football, ETSU, everything that magically had to go the way, went their way, and they went all over. Yep. 2019 did not. Now it's two different seasons, but I think if, if you go with coaches who give you the non-conference is one season. and If you go back and watch, and I've watched probably three of their wins non-conference, they had some things go their way. And now maybe it's worked out in the wash, and they're not as good as they were, and they're not as bad as they are. So we'll just see if it kind of shakes out. But if they don't win these next two, it's, it, it's looking bleak. On Citadel, 74 points in that 92-point explosion. They have honestly dropped right around that a lot of times this year, but 74 of them from Hayden Brown, Caden Rice, Fletcher Richards. Yeah, and those are, and those are three. And, and, you know, again, they're, 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 they're three. I mean, that is the three. They are going to lead everybody in, in three-point attempts, and they lead the nation and have led the nation in three-point. I mean, it's sort of their sick. It's sort of like Sanford football. They're going to lead everything in offensive categories because their coaches just believe we should be number one and all that. It doesn't lead to winning championships. It certainly doesn't. Well, in San Francisco, they've at least won some regular season championships. But it hasn't been successful to win a national championship on the FCS level, which in the Southern Conference is what you want to do. Clearly, Citadel is not trying to win a national championship in college basketball. But it has not got them a regular season championship. It has not gotten them to a title game. It hasn't gotten them to anything other than, great, we lead the nation in three-point shooting. Is that going to Congratulations. Change? Is that going to change? I mean, they have Tyler Moff, who is also averaging – Double figures now, so I'm not saying it's literally only every day Brown Rice to me, but when they're at their best, those are going to be the guys that are carrying the load, right? I mean, those are the Hayden Brown might drop 50 this year and get 25 rebounds while he's doing. It. I mean, it's absolutely absurd what he's doing. I don't think you can just say, and while I do this a lot with them as a team and their schedule, like oh, it's 491. Of course, he's putting up big numbers, but when you start to put up those numbers in conference play, I don't care who it's against in conference play. The Southern Conference is a good conference top to bottom, that's going to turn some heads, and you just can't write it off anymore. So is that three, and maybe throw in Moff, because they're so top-heavy, going to be enough to hang in a Southern Conference season that's also about to get extremely compressed? I, I, having a big three helps, yes. The, the problem, I think, for Citadel and what's always going to be is, A, they're not going to be able to shoot at that clip in the league every night, and that's proven, and they don't stop anybody. You know, you look at some of the games, the highest scoring that ETSU had when Steve Forbes was here, and a lot of them were against Citadel. And that's not really because 
ETSU has been a juggernaut of a machine to throw 90 and 100 points on the board. It's just sort of the style that they play. Hayden Brown's averaging 23 and 11 right now. I mean, just crazy numbers. He's hit 17 threes. Caden Rice has hit 38 threes. He's averaging 19. Fletcher Abib, who's actually sort of struggled from beyond the arts, hit 28 threes on the year. I mean, just crazy numbers. That's in eight games, by the way, those numbers. Eight games. It's not like we played 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, Fletcher Abib is shooting 46% from three with 28 makes. There's two guys in front of him, and it's VMI, which is even crazier. And Caden, um, or Camden Kerfman, he's hit 34 threes, shooting 49%. And his running mate, Greg Parham, who's one of the guys that had 25 against Chat the other day, has hit 31 threes, and he's shooting 47%. So it's not like they're hitting like 12 threes, 17 threes. I mean, these guys are shooting a lot of threes. I mean, Halverson's hit 41 threes, which leads the league, and he's shooting 45%. So there's some gaudy numbers from sort of the lower end of the teams that I think is part of the reason why they're going to give VMI is going to give you fits. They've got two guys shooting almost 50% and combining for 65 made threes. I don't know ETSU's total made threes right now, but it's probably not even 65 as a team. Or if it is, it ain't much more. So Citadel, and again, you look at their four, their three guys are almost 80 combined threes. 74. I mean, so if that tells you what you're dealing with there. So I think Citadel, if they can continue to pick up some wins, certainly, you know, is going to – it will be the tale of college basketball. I mean, they've already made it in mid-major fame. But their next Major two – uh, Yeah, you know what that is. Uh, but their next two games, Furman at home, VMI. Got to win those two. If they lose those two, you just go with, well, it's Citadel. And unfortunately – Yeah. If they're going to – you lose to Fermi, you lose at home, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you didn't get beat by 25, right? You lose a four-point game, you're like, okay, you know, upper echelon of the league, right, nip and tuck, right there, same state, Palmetto State battle, blah, blah, blah. But then you go to VMI and and then get Trump. Then I think you're in a little bit of trouble because you turn around after that got a bye week on that one. No, no, then they got Mercer and then Sanford. So it'd be they got a nice little stretch too. They're gonna have to be able to play. All right, two more items. Wofford, and this is the big thing I think from this past week in terms of personnel, loses Messiah Jones. And he was on crutches Saturday. He played in that first game against UNCG and then was on crutches Saturday and they scored just forty eight points as we talked about. Max Plesmet, Sam Godwin and Storm Murphy, not exactly the big three of a of e, Brown and Rice. They scored 38 points of the 48 for Wofford in that 48-45 win. Do we think that part of those struggles were Messiah Jones being out offensively, or do you look at how things are going to line up for a lot of teams now in the Southern Conference with that tight schedule and you know two games in three days, but not necessarily against the same opponent on the women's side. It's going to be the same opponent on the men's side. You're not often going to find back-to-backs like Wofford and UNCG had. So was there something to be said for the struggles on both sides offensively being the scout, being that odd scheduling that ended up shaking out the way it did? Or do you think Messiah Jones lost, who was averaging 9.4 a game with 6.6 rebounds per game, their leading rebounder, if he is out for an extended period of time, do those offensive struggles continue regardless of scheduling at home? Well, I, I think, number one, watching the game, there were a lot of open shots that were missed. But both teams, UNCG and Wofford, it kind of felt like, 
you know, I think they at one time had combined to go two for 24, no, two for third, two for 28. They were two for 28 to start the game. If it wasn't for, uh, I think, a, a run. Matter of fact, it was 16 to nine with a minute 40. It was nine to four at the under eight timeout. Nine to four under eight timeout. Then it was 16 to nine with 145 to go. And Wofford got a couple of threes right before the half to get it to 16-50. Start of the second half, teams got a little bit more of a rhythm. Shots started to go down, and then you get a more traditional 33 to 29 team score in the second half. So the first half was just an outlier, and I don't know because they were open looks. Now there's a little bit of bloodbath. There were some illegal screens called 40 feet away from the hoop, and people around the rim just got hammered. So it was interesting to see how the game was called because they really let them play. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a team. Wofford only had seven team fouls for the game. For the game. Two free throws for Greensboro the entire 40 minutes. That's terrible. I mean, and and UNCG went to the rim. This is one of those where, like, it was called like a tournament game. And to be honest, these are why these two teams will probably be good in the tournament because they were able to really battle through it. No technical fouls. Nobody lost their mind. Nobody did whatever. You just kind of knew it was going to be one of those games. But it shows the problem for me for UNCG. 0 for 4, Isaiah Miller. 1 for 6, Keyshawn Langley. 1 for 5, Angelo Allegri. 0 for 5, A.J. McGinnis off on the outside. To your point, Wofford, which is what we were talking about. Storm Murphy goes 4 for 10, but he had spurts where he hit 2 in a row in the first half, 2 in a row in the second half. Didn't hit any more in between. 0 for 5, Trey Hollowell. He's a guy they've been leaning on a lot. He's, I think, their third third, no, second leading scorer, and he didn't score. He didn't score at all. So, to me, him not scoring probably hurt more than Messiah Jones, but Messiah Jones for sure is a a walking double-double machine, and so not having him in there, clearly, I think it hurt because you look at B.J. Mack, you look at Sam Goodwin, those guys combined for, I think, for five or six, and ten points, nine. Uh, Goodwin in his spot went ten points, nine rebounds. So I, I don't think I think Trey Holloway was a bigger bigger deal. Certainly Jones hurt, but I think it's a bigger deal that um, Trey Holloway didn't score in that game. I need to talk about Sanford because we always do this talk before, and I just have an obsession with denigrating buckyball. Uh, Jalen Dupree's usage just is so confusing for me right now. He hasn't played more than uh, four. Excuse me, he played 14 minutes this past game. Uh, he hasn't played more than uh, 14 minutes uh, except for one time against Leon. 14, 22, 14, 12. So you got 14, 22, 14, and 12. And he's making the most of those minutes, only averaging 15.5 per game, uh, scoring nine points during those 15 and a half. I mean, that's an incredible points per 40. And he's grabbing 5.3 rebounds per game as well, which is tied for second on the team. I just don't get what they're doing with him. We talked about this in depth a couple shows ago if you want to go back and listen to our basketball preview show, and then maybe even the stock report last week just a little bit. This is a different system, right? Bucky McMillan's going to run what he wants to run, what has proven to have worked for him at the high school level with, like, seven state championships in eight years. Um, But he's got a couple players on this team that really have to play extensive minutes. Myron Gordon is one of them, and he's out there 26 minutes per game, which makes me think that Dupree, now keep in mind, he made his season debut December 21st. So is there maybe a minutes limit? Was he injured leading into the season where he is not playing nearly as much because they're trying to work him in back slowly? You know, that was three weeks ago, right? So if you're 
coming into a season and you're starting right around that 14-minute mark and then you're able to play 22 in your second game, that tells me this isn't so much of a minutes limit type thing, and it hasn't been foul trouble because he's only fouled seven times in four games that he's played, it starts to look like that he just doesn't fit the scheme that Bucky McMillan wants to run. And keep in mind, you called it, what, 40 minutes of fire or whatever, 40 minutes of fury? 40 minutes of hell. 40 minutes of hell. No one registered. Six, six foot eight, 235 is Dupree. He's a post, right? I mean, he can step out and hit a three, right? But six, six eight, 235, he is not your um, typical player that you would put out there in a system like this. And so maybe he just doesn't have a spot in the system that McMillan wants to run. And keep in mind, he's coming in as college coaches do in their first year, and he's stuck with the roster that he has. And certainly you're not going to tell Jalen Dupree, uh, A, either change your game or you're out. You're not going to give him ultimatums, right? You, you want good players on your team. He is one of the best that you have. But if you're going to keep him around, to only play him 15 and a half minutes a game, and obviously there's been some stumbles here in conference play already, I just don't understand. Do you think that it is the fact that he does not fit with his skill set, size, what he can do on the floor with what, what McMillan wants to do? I mean, he's, he started. Uh, the starting doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. I know Christian Guest was, was out. He's back he's in. Back. He played 30 minutes. Part of it is probably, yes, he doesn't fit the system. In, in a first-year situation, the second thing is the system's more important than the player. So they're not – Bucky McMillan is not concerned with who is scoring. Right, it's his style. But he's concerned with them scoring. So if you're putting up 68 – He's concerned – yes, he is concerned with him scoring. He's not concerned with who is scoring. He's but your concerned. best scorer, one of them at least, is Dupree. Put him out there. We got 68 points against Chattanooga, right? Like, don't at some point you just have to say, all right, this is getting tight late. Let's run a play for Jalen Dupree, even if it doesn't fit our system. I mean, I'm also confused Preston Parks played 12 minutes in the last game. So, I mean, there's a lot of this that is confusing to me. Tristan Chambers, who started at Samford, transferred down to Alabama Huntsville, graduated and is now back up at Samford, which is the rare. I don't know that I've seen that either. Um, I do know on an occasion I've seen a football guy start at school, go junior college, go back to the school, just sort of get grades and some other things worked out. But I've never seen a guy transfer to get more playing time to have to go to a lower division to come back, and he's getting 23 points a minute. All freshman teams freshman year do it very strange. So uh, I don't know. I'm not – honestly, I haven't watched a lot of Sanford yet, mainly because I haven't cared to. Probably need to. Bucky's not selling me. I don't really want to. Either. Just to figure it out. But yes, I, I'm very confused. And I will say this: he's figuring out that the uh, you know get to 100 points or whatever that he was able to do in some of those non-D1 games are certainly costing him in these games because he's getting slowed down and he does not want to be in a 73-68 game, which he was last time out. Yeah, I'm saying Greenville College. Although some announcers would call UNC Greensboro University Greenville. So the Explorers. Yeah. Close there, sure. I guess. But. In actual reality, it's not court I mean, you look at so non D one. They scored one seventy four ninety eight, the two and one thirty three. So they have three non D ones. They put up some stupid numbers. And then in Division one games, they had lost Alabama A and M, which isn't looking as bad now because they've been playing very good basketball. And one time, I think was one of the lone undefeated teams as well. 
So it's not as bad as it was, but they had a two-point loss there. Then they had that magical win, scoring 96 at Belmont, you know, 75 against Georgia, 71 against Troy, 65 against Kennesaw State. That's a head-scratcher. And then uh, 84 against VMI, 84 against Wofford, just 68 against Chattanooga. They've got to score 90 to win. It is they, if they score under 90, it's winning. For Bucky, two freebies. Let's get at it. All right, there is stock up, stock down, win. Fail downs, apparently, right? Fail downs? Fail downs. Like you hit the button. Fail downs right after this timeout. Daryl Ward for Sandwich Sidekick. On the bucket here, Sports Network. Enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail. Excited, this guy. You're clearly this guy. Here we go. Who do I get a crush? Who do I get a crush? The local media. First uh, fail. ETSU about a month ago lost to Presbyterian Academy. Don't know what that is. Presbyterian Academy. Not sure what that is. You're in Presbyterian Academy. Pres. Lost to Presbyterian Academy. According to a local news outlet that will not be named on this show because we try to be, and I quote, good neighbors. State Farm is there. They're not a sponsor. We can get them to be there. Go ahead. Presbyterian Academy defeated ETSU Women's Basketball 68-38 to in a setback in Brooks Gym. <laughs> oh, Presbyterian Academy. Yes, the, the hybrid between Presbyterian College and Providence Academy in town. I don't know. Is that one of those? Providence Academy. Then there's Providence that, uh, University. Providence that, uh, Providence. The Providence Academy. That's a good one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, maybe even worse. The Bucks. In a hectic week, had to face Columbia International. You remember Lee, a bunch of ever-changing, this is ETSU Methodist. Oh, okay, it's okay. The ever-changing week where there were, like, three games that were scheduled eventually within 14 No games, seven games, here we go. There yeah. was a bunch of different opponents. Some opponents were the same, blah, blah, blah. Gardner-Webb, Lee, everybody came on board. Well, the Bucks were not on short notice, but I'm not even sure that I can actually say what was typed on this local television outlet screen, but let's just say it is something – very uncomfortable and messy. Where if you change one letter from short, you will come up with that word. You could put an A? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. On that notice. That was on the that was on the TV screen. That All right. was broadcast to tens of thousands of homes. Chris. Was that the game where Bonnie Patterson set barbecue sauce and looked like he had did something in his shorts? Is that the same game? Could be. Maybe not. Sounds like All you're right. describing what they're describing, so maybe you're both in the same okay. page. Also, let's just point out that the O and the A are not anywhere near each other on the keyboard. On the yeah, I'm looking at the keyboard right now in front of me, and there is a large disc. It's not like it's Bucks are on shirt notice. And it's not that like I, now I've, worked, I've worked in TV before. It's not like there's no autocorrect on that. 
Exactly. Not that they would autocorrect him at to begin with, but it's still you can't even blame that. It seemed like it probably was intentional. Okay. Yeah. It's all first down, thank goodness. Or first Second down. fail. Uh, your guy. Matt McCall. A quote after the George Mason game, too often we put the game in the officials' hands, and the officials made calls for George Mason and not for us. Go ahead. Open season on Matty McCall. Well, first of all, Matthew, I would like to tell you that in case you didn't remember the numbers from that game, your squad, the Minutemen were hit for 28 fouls. The opposing team, 34 fouls. You attempted eight more free throws. You attempted more free throws in the first half. You only uh, you were out free throwed in the second half, but you out free throwed in the first and second overtime, 21 to 10. You took 11 more free throws in overtime one and two. And in the last overtime, your team was eight of 10, and there was a foul called with 14 seconds to go that gave you the lead. And then you fouled with one second to go. After an offensive rebound, and I've looked at it about a thousand times, I don't know in what world it's not a foul. Sometimes they don't call that a foul, but it certainly was a foul. And you shoot more free throws than your opponent in almost everything. And in overtime, in overtime, first and second, you shot 11 more free throws. What are you talking about? What in the world game are you talking about? Are you mad because you're not very good at UMass? Because, you know, you went 13-20 and 20 your first year, which is good enough for 13th in the league. You went 11-21, and 21, which is good enough for 12th. Last year, a huge step up to tie for 8th with a 14-17. and 17, And 2-2 two and two in the league this year. How in the world do you have a job for having one of the most epic collapses in Chattanooga basketball history? How you mess up a team that returned everybody off an NCAA tournament team? To where a guy would walk off the floor, then sit on the bench with you. Maddie McCall, ladies and gentlemen, lives in his own little world. Congratulations on the dumbest take you've ever had. And you've probably had dumber takes, but that's one of the dumbest takes I've ever seen. Let's go to Twitter. At likes, high LQ play. Yes, it's going to be good. Fire Matt McCall immediately. Waste of Massachusetts taxpayer money. Uh, different guy. Don't have this up specifically in front of me right now. Matt McCall explaining what happened post-game, and it's a picture of a guy in a hot dog costume yelling at someone else. I can't understand how Matt McCall has a head coaching position still, says at little underscore bit underscore special. Matt McCall is out of his depth at MYKL underscore Santee. The most unavoidable truth about UMass basketball is that Matt McCall absolutely does not understand how to coach basketball at J. Roach 3MR. Matt McCall said, hold my beer, says at jborga17, quote tweeting, absolutely embarrassing. It just says absolutely embarrassing. It says Matt McCall says hold my beer. <laughs> this is all in a row. And finally, the last one, at Stevie Hicks 7, simply says Matt McCall is the worst coach in America. It's bold. He's in the running. <laughs> He's in the running. I mean, if his 18 and 37 conference record doesn't want to do it for you, his 40 and 60 overall, and that includes the fact he can buy games. That, that is, that was ba- that caught me, and when I first saw it, I was like, well, that's an interesting, you know, maybe I'll look. And so I actually gave him the benefit of the doubt and thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, it was a hose job or something. So I went and watched the, the, the film first, and I thought, well, I get it. 
you might not want it, but then when I went back and looked at the stats and everything was in their favor and all the fouls and everything, I, I don't know what in the world, other than he wanted to lose $10,000, I guess, or, or 5000 whatever you, you get fined for in that league. I mean, I have no idea. It was uh, it, it was very interesting. You gave me time to go back and find the tweets after that game. Because if you just look up Matt McCall, just search him in Twitter, it is quite the fastidious happening. I went back to December 30th. 30th when that game took place. Uh, Fire Matt McCall says at Ross the Boss. At the real Jay Allen went as far to say that the era was over, and so the Matt McCall era ends not with a bang, but with a double overtime loss to George Mason. So Jesse Allen already had fired him himself. Then Adam Zecker at Azek 18. It's time to end this nightmare. Fire Matt McCall. Matt McCall should be fired on the spot after that loss. Another, another night of UMass refused to win basketball thanks to Matt McCall. Oh, that's classic. <laughs> it is absolutely That is classic. Fantastic. We can read that more. All day. Third <laughs> fail. Uh, coaching, and we stay on coaching. Because coaches are always a good thing to pick on. I hope the crazy coach is tuned into this show because he would have some takes on this. He would certainly have some opinions that he could pass along to us. He also may be upset because you know the media, that mm-hmm. being us. Mm-hmm. They hate they all hate their uh, all coaches hate media until they become the media, and then they claim they're not the media, and then they use the generic well, the national media or other media or whatever they do. But yeah, yeah. it also seems like all coaches hate Ohio State until they get smacked by them in the college football playoff. Clemson Tigers, Dabo Sweeney stands by his decision to rank Ohio State Buckeyes 11th on the coaches' poll ballot. But boy, did he have some nice things to say. So he ranks them 11th mm-hmm. and then gets yep. beat by them yep. promptly. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, to advance to the college football playoff championship game where Ohio State perhaps gave Dabo a bit of reprieve in the fact that they couldn't hang with Alabama last night, although I'm not sure there's any team over the last, like, ten years. You can say LSU if you want with Burrow last year, but uh, it was quite the impressive show that they put on. Uh, he said, though, in his quote, there's no question Ohio State good enough to beat us, to beat any of the four playoff teams. That's not a question at all. And then he went on to try and justify why he didn't rank them in the top ten in the country. And it was based on the number of games that they had played. I think that's a little bit fraudulent. I think that if you vote them 11th, you better go out and beat them, or else you will have people like Sanders and the sidekick. I'm sure Dabo is very concerned when he's listening to this that we are imparting our opinions on him and his voting. But if you don't go out and beat them, that's kind of putting your team in a tough spot well, as well. Wasn't that also – didn't he also – Use the weird quote of like one time I voted my alma mater Alabama sixth or great you voted him sixth I don't even understand what that meant. He also said I'm an equal opportunity guy. Okay. Okay, Dabo. Well, there's two things going against Dabo. One, he he tried to say that he understood that this would probably be used against him, but Ohio State after the loss last year literally had like the final score blasted and put up everywhere, right? And, uh, that was the most revenge game of revenge game that they already wanted that game badly to be a rematch because of how last year's ended. And then just to add that to the fire and then to, you know, him just to – now, he said all the right things. I'll say that. He came back and all shucks did. Because he, he did throw out, when they first questioned him about it, he said, well, you know, they're a good team, and they you know, they could beat us. It's not. So he did try to soften a little bit of the blow, but come on. Like, I, not by it. It's just ridiculous. It, it's you're, First of all, it wasn't Ohio State's fault that they played that. The Big Ten, which is which we follow, right? We're, we do a podcast in the South where we follow the Big Ten pretty intently. Yeah. And 
the Big Ten made a decision. The presidents. It wasn't like Ohio State and Michigan and Minnesota and Nebraska and all these people are like, you know what, we just want to play six games. No, they all wanted to play a whole schedule, you know, and they weren't able to do it because of this, and they were finally able to do it, and then you play it. And it's the whole problem I have with college football in general. If we would have an actual play, I'm going to give me as many years resolution, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to say is all you had to do was win. Like, and then I love that my Clemson people that I do, because, again, I grew up um, different states. I went to high school in Henderson, North Carolina, which is just an hour away from Clemson. There was a, several Clemson fans when they were terrible, and so now they're excited because they're good, and they know I'm a Big Ten guy, so they would crush me on, like, well, it just proves the six games, I mean, how fresh they are. I mean, because Alabama clearly struggled last night with their freshness of playing a couple more games than Clemson did. So, congratulations on Clemson not being as fresh as Alabama who played two more games and was able to do it. So, so stop stop the crap because here was my point. If, if Ohio State would have beat Michigan by 35 and a couple other bottom feeders in the Big Ten that they would have had to play, would that have made everybody feel better? I mean, would that have made people really feel better? I mean, I think it would have been better for Ohio State because it would have been rolling at that point to have more going for them offensively and everything as opposed to sort of the chugging start they had at Northwestern. Not only did Clemson lose, but they lost 49-28. And Dustin Fields threw all over them. It was not close. Bulletin board material from Dabo with that 11th vote. And uh, I'm sure one that he regrets at this point, regardless of what Does Dabo regret that as much as Trevor Lawrence's mustache? Because that thing's got to go, too. Fourth fail. It is not Trevor Lawrence's mustache, though. It certainly could be. Have you ever seen a shocking opening to a playoff game than the Pittsburgh Steelers getting down 28 to nothing against the Cleveland Browns. That first quarter itself is the fail. I'm questioning to you on fourth fail if you are in the camp that said Juju Smith-Schuster all year long with the TikToks and the dancing on the logos and the, all that stuff is a fail because it's been, speaking of great bulletin board material for other teams and Pittsburgh finishing by losing, I think it was five of their last six if you include the playoff game. That hasn't held the test of time. It looked great early on when they were 11-0, and there are a lot of fantastic breakdowns of who the Pittsburgh Steelers beat in those first 11 games. And let me just summarize by saying there wasn't a lot of star power. There wasn't a lot of health across from them. There wasn't really anything worth a substantive comment on in those first 11 games. It was smoke and mirrors. And clearly that's the case because they lost five of their last six. Juju Smith-Schuster constantly the poker of the bear. I am actually not so mad at Smith-Schuster because you're having some fun. You're having a good time. Social media audience is loving it. And I think sports should be more of the, I'm going to do what I want, and if you like it, great. If you don't, come beat me. And unfortunately for Juju and the Steelers, it was them getting beat repeatedly over and over and over. I think the bigger fail is, and Marquise Pouncey, one of the best centers in the league for how long now, Snaps the ball right over Ben Roethlisberger's head, just like that, like second play of the game, it is 7-0, and the Browns never looked back. It was just so satisfying to sit there, and, and I'm not a Browns fan. We know a couple of Browns fans in the office, and um, I, I know a couple that are outside of the office as well. So it was nice to see that for Good feel good. More so, though. Sideline reporter Robert Harper, I think, cried again. He's, <laughs> he's leading the country and crying, make the playoffs, crying when he won the game. Like, it's, it's why he keeps sending me these cry videos. I think she wants me to put them out there. I, I'm not doing it, but. It's, it's a little disturbing. It's a little too, disturbing. Uh, so more so, it was just so satisfying to sit and see, regardless of who it is, I think I would like this, after 20 years of getting absolutely decimated, year after year after year by the Steelers, who have been con- 
consistently one of the best teams over the last 20 years, you know, maybe save the New England Patriots, your New England Patriots, who are now terrible. Uh, it was a measure of revenge for the Browns, and a decisive measure of revenge from moment one. The only thing that, and we talked about this off air too, the only thing I can think of that shocked me more at the beginning of a playoff game, or maybe any football game, was the safety. Seahawks, Broncos, Super Bowl, what, six, seven years ago now. But the that was still York, like, okay, yeah. well, yeah, it was first play of the game, and it was, you know, okay, 2 nothing, like, not as big of a deal. It was more of a shock to the system to me that Cleveland continued to pour well, out the entire first quarter. Very similar because of the nature of the snap. The difference, obviously, Denver was backed up more, so the snap just went through the end right. zone. What was disturbing was, if you go back and watch, the look between Roethlisberger and Connor of, like, well, are you going to jump on the ball? Well, no, you jump on the ball. Well, gosh, I guess I will. And, then, and it was almost like they, it's almost like Connor, like, powered down. It's almost like a robot. And, <laughs> and then he, like, kind of flopped down. And then the ball, like – if you just recover the ball, obviously it's not a touchdown. You're pinned back, but things could change. Like, that set the tone for the game for me. Like, if I'm a player, it's like, well, man, Big Ben doesn't want to win. Connor doesn't want to win. Why do I want to win? Like, I'm very confused. But I've watched that several times, and I don't know. Is Big Ben too old? He's got the rib issue. I mean, does he just not want to get one I mean, touchdowns. I mean, just, but I mean. Do you not want to lay on the ball? Do you want to lay on the ball? Like, are you? I know. I mean, are you too old to jump on a fumble? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, and you'd you, rather you, give up you're a touchdown. Certainly not too old to jump on a fumble. Yeah. You can throw for five that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't get what him and Con- and then they were just. There's an awkward stare. Like, if you go back and watch it, there's an awkward kind of. They they both look down and kind of look at each other. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And and it's it's one of the most awful things to start the game. And then of course it's 28 nothing. You can try to come back all you want to, but 28 nothing is almost. Almost impossible, and certainly as, as some of the Browns fans were texting me when I said congratulations, twenty-eight nothing. They all sent me shut your mouth because th- this has happened before. We've been up, <laughs> we've been up twenty-four three and lost. Like you shut up. And the like, second oh, half, to be fair, I was and, well. If they didn't, the they didn't itself. score on the screen pass, right? If they would not score on that possession, then yes, you probably were a little bit of a nervous Nelly range. But yeah, I don't know, like. Juju dancing on things, whether that was or wasn't. Then you got Chase Claypool coming out and saying, well, they're going to get smacked next round. Why are you talking? Like, like, can we talk about that fail? Like, you just got beat down. We're just going to get clapped by the Chief. Shut up and go on vacation, buddy. Like, your season's over. Go back to Canada, whatever it is you do. You know, eat some pancakes and maple syrup. I mean, he is Mapletron. I mean, that's what I would do. So, yeah, Mapletron. Yeah, the old Mapletron. So, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. On the dancing the logo, same thing I would tell the Titans. If you don't want somebody to stomp and dance on your logo, then beat them. If you don't win the game, let's don't cry over spilled milk. Now, granted, I'm not a Ravens fan by any stretch of imagination. I thought that was a bit egregious and stupid of what they were doing. But in the same token, like, if you don't want somebody to do that, like, if you don't want somebody to run up the score on you, stop them. Right. Like, it's, it's a pretty simple in sports, and, and especially in pro sports. You don't want somebody to dance or to do something to you. You get paid millions of dollars. Why don't you do something about it? If not, then stop crying about it. Or you can be petty and stomp on their logo the next time or whatever you want to do. But just calm down with all that. I don't care about Juju dancing on that. Didn't make uh, Pittsburgh lose 5-6. 
people can use it as motivation. I mean, the funny part is, is what people use for motivation. And I know I keep hearing, well, they make me a dollars, why you got to be motivated? Well, the teams that obviously get motivated are teams that win because the Ravens came out a little extra motivated, whether the Titans disrespected them or not. Certainly Cleveland has felt disrespected by Pittsburgh for like two decades. At the end of the day, they're still human, and they're still an emotional appeal, right? Money is one thing, yes. They're going to go out and try their best, but is there going to be that fire that carries you the extra yard? the extra quarter, the whatever you need, that is, because they are human and because they are athletes and because they are competitive by nature, that is going to be something that motivates men. And let's talk, all those coaches, all they try to do is figure out what is the motivation, right? right? What is the rallying crowd? What can they do? So congratulations to Cleveland. New England was New England before Cleveland because they had had 20 straight years of being ridiculous, so now Cleveland's probably going to go on a 20-year run. So congratulations, Browns. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. The Warriors' Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. This one loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6. Penn State. This is a lifeless organization. Wake Forest basketball has got its name. It's new coach Steve Forbes from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. The conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. 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 Why do you sound so happy about that, buddy? Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two stubs and a brownie to watch it down. Just disgusting. Oh, yeah. Honey mustard. Oh, mustard. prediction. Who doesn't want honey mustard? I do love honey mustard. Full predictions. Boy, it was looking so good for me. Elise and Shania, 12 at the half. Shania had 10 on her own. Or 13 at the half. I think it was 10 points for Shania and three for Elise. Either way, I was within like two or three points of getting my 17 that I needed for them to set a and then it's your fault. season high. That's what I heard. It's your fault. Combined scoring in a game and instead they fall short. I needed one basket and Shania had a couple right at the rim, right in the paint, open. And I was rooting a little extra, I will say that, uh, because you obviously want the young woman to succeed and the Bucks to win the game. But then you want to be able to sit here on a Monday or a Tuesday and look you straight in the eye and say, I am... He is the smartest man in the universe. I am the smartest man alive! Instead, wrong. Wrong. Yet again, on a bold prediction. What'd you have? I had all the women's Southern Conference, right? Had all all the road teams were going to win. And, uh, How's that work out? Uh, well, the only one that won was uh, West Carolina. After I did say, I thought uh, that was one I felt pretty confident in. Isn't that crazy that... When was the last time you thought that was, that was going to be? Bottom of the league forever. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, and I had, oh, and I'm sorry. I also forgot I had women's basketball winning by double digits. So there's a, there's an 0 for 2. I half wasn't looking too terribly. But I did, did, did get a big win, right, by taking Citadel over Chattanooga. Did you know? Yeah. Is that not what I took? I don't think so. No. What was the actual prediction? Come on. Uh, the game got canceled. <laughs> the yeah. game got canceled. Can't win it if it's not played. I, I, had, can. uh, I didn't lose. You can't lose if it's not played either. Uh, Steve Forbes officially dead. Hope you're listening. Wake Forest did not get it done at Cameron Indoor Stadium. 
David Williams had like 17 points after the season of success, but uh, no Steve Forbes. Uh, he's had two, uh, get considering the beatdown he took at Georgia Tech, uh, the fact that he's come back against two ranked opponents on the road and been Hey, fair, nobody believed more than me. Yeah. Nobody believed more than me. Only Steve believed in himself and his team. As much <laughs> as I did. <laughs> as much as I did. <laughs> Maybe yeah. things would have worked out. Yeah. Um, eight points or less every NFL playoff game was going to be separated by on Super Wild Card Weekend. Ended up being only the slightest bit ambitious. I can't say this is a bad beat because you didn't have three games that finished more than a score separating the winner and the loser. But it was only 10, 11, and 12. It the second game of the day. It was unfortunately over pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. the Rams. His dog came off the bench and apparently was fine, I guess. And Wolford got injured and the Rams ended up winning by 10, like a 30-20 game. I can see them winning like a 17-14 game. It ended up being 30-20. And then there were a couple other games on Sunday that ended outside of 8 as well. So, unfortunately... Yet again, we are winless. This has been maybe the worst start to bowl predictions in bowl predictions history. That's not shocking. What do you attribute it? I think it's the honey mustard and the two extra stuff for you. I don't know what it is for me. I blame the continuity of games I pick get canceled and then it's just flustered. You can't get in a rhythm. That's right. Can't do it. All right, be back with you. A preview of the weekend's game. Santa's sidekick on the Buccaneers. Network. Cowboy up and go play ball.